It's just like taking a step forward, my friend. Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A busy Monday. Um, quick housekeeping. iFashion University members, the Q&A from last week is posted and ready for your viewing. If you're not a member of iFashion University, you can go to iFashionUniversity.com and get signed up there. I'm going to dig right into today's Q&A. This is with Misha. Misha has some questions about rolling. One of the things you want to rec recognize about rolling, it is a form of propulsion. So it's going to follow the same rules. So we have the shape change. We have yielding actions that create delays. We have overcoming actions that create the advancement. We have an early, a middle, and a late representation. Keep in mind that when we're rolling, we're rolling the axial skeleton. So pay attention to what the axial skeleton is doing. Try not to get distracted by the extremities, as many people do when we talk about things like walking as well. Um, but so remember, rolling is propulsion. Okay, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and put 15 minutes uh, consultation in the subject line, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everyone have an outstanding Monday. I will see you tomorrow. Okay, go ahead. Fire away, Misha. Uh, so, uh, first question. Uh, when you initiate a roll to the left, okay. first thing you need to do is to compress on the left side so you can fall to the left. Correct. And so, you have, so, so, yes. So, you're actually creating a shape that creates a downhill uh, force, so to speak, for the, the internal organs to fall down and to the left to initiate the force in that direction. Yes, that is correct. Mm -hmm. And so you, you have to have a somewhat of a compression on the left side. So there will be expansion on the right. That is correct. Time. Yeah. So yes, if, yes. if you look at the, if you look at the cross-sectional shape of a thorax, as the roll initiates, the left side goes flat and that actually makes the right side. Um, if you're on, looking at from the ground level, the right side is slightly higher and that creates this downward gradient towards the left side that gets everything moving in that direction. It's very quick, but it, but it does happen. Okay. Okay. And so in the past, you talked about how sometimes if you want to roll somebody to the left, first, you need to teach them how to do like the overcoming strategy on the left Correct. side. Correct. That creates the shape. So that creates the shape, right? Yeah. And so, so um, as you would be reaching forward with your left side, yes, the left shoulder is moving away from the floor, but the shape that would that that creates is the shape that falls back down to the floor and initiates the roll to the left. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So most likely, if someone cannot create that shape change, it will be somebody who is very late on both sides, right? Yes. So those are the people. So yeah. those are the people, so I'm just trying to like connect the dots. Those are the people that you say you need to bring them back on the right side first. So, so those are the same people, yeah? Yes, sir. You got it. Okay. That's exactly okay. right. That's exactly okay. right. Uh, so from, a, and I have a lot of trouble with people like that. So from a, <laughs> don't we all, <laughs> we all do. We all do, my friend. Yeah. Yes. But you see, I cannot touch people. So for you, it's easier. I understand. I understand. Uh, so... Uh, from an activity standpoint, would this be, uh, so you're trying to create some kind of overcoming on the left and you're trying to create some space on the right side. So Correct. would this be like, for example, a supine cross connect with mm -hmm. the right foot on the wall, mm -hmm. but then you're reaching with the left hand yes. and you're staying left side heavy. So yeah. Well, wait a minute. What, okay. So, so, so or, or right under this, hang, hang one second. So think under this circumstance, you're actually going to have a compensatory ER representation on that left side. So, so we're laid on both sides. Okay. Yeah. And you're, you're trying to move them, them back on the right. So you're actually trying to create the expansion posteriorly on the right. And so you, what you're going to have is you're going to have an ER representation as they're, as they're bringing that, that left knee upward and uh, right. So you get the right foot on the wall. So you're pushing the wall, bring the left knee up. You're actually using the compensatory strategy on that left side to help you create the delay on, on the right side to bring them straight back on the right. Okay. So in that case, you might want to maintain like right heavy. Uh, so, so, 
I, here's what I would suggest. Here's what I would suggest. Use the, the foot contacts on the wall to drive that representation. Okay. Rather than saying right side heavy, I would mm-hmm. say, make sure you hang on to those right foot contacts. Here's why. If I use a compensatory strategy on the left side to, to try to create the, the right posterior expansion, the minute I lose that right foot contact, I am just orienting everything in that direction. What I want to do is I want to create a turn inside of that foot contact. So the, so the medial foot, let me grab my foot. <clears throat> so the medial foot on the wall, I want to make sure I hang onto that. And I want to hang onto that because if I roll to the outside, I no longer have the ability to, to create the right posterior expansion. So I would, I would emphasize the foot contact um, more so than, than the heaviness under this circumstance. Okay. And in that case, you would have the right foot on the wall. You're reaching with the left knee towards your left eye and you're reaching with the right elbow across the body. Yes, right? sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. But then... Uh, because, I'm, again, I'm using the compensatory strategy on the left side to help me create the right side shape. Okay. And okay. then after you do that, you can do the left cross connect. Yep. And then in this case, you'll be creating the first shape that you need to initiate the roll. Yes. By, by reaching with the left. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Okay. I think I understand. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. In shape? Okay. All right. I want you to understand. Uh, and another question this is something that I had also some trouble with. Mm-hmm. If you're initiating a roll with the lower extremity, so, and your leg is relatively straight, so you're just doing it like, let's say, going from right to left. Okay. Uh, in your video on rolling, you said that you are going to have a yielding strategy on the right side. Correct. Which is confusing to me because the right side is moving forward, the left side is staying back. At what point are you talking about it? Because that's what matters, okay? So, mm-hmm. so if I am on my side, okay? If I'm on my side and I'm initiating with the leg, right? The shape of the axial skeleton is still an early representation. Doesn't mean that there's no late coming. It just mm-hmm. means that as I'm as I'm on my side and initiating that role, okay, mm-hmm. I there is there is uh, the the early representation of that as the leg goes across because the leg is moving faster than the pelvis is. Yep. So the pelvis is moving slower. How does it move slower than the leg? I have, okay, to yeah, create, I have to create the delay, don't I? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. now, as you step over with the leg, and the, and the, so if we're rolling left to right, as I step over with the leg, and then the foot makes contact with the ground, the foot stops moving, and then the pelvis starts to move, and then I'm creating the overcoming against the sacrum to create the turn. Now the delay drops from the, the top hip to the bottom hip, because I have to slow down the downside because it's stuck to the ground. So you have to look at where you are in the role to identify what strategy you're talking about. Okay, so if you're, so if you're just in supine and you're reaching with the right leg across your body and the pelvis hasn't started to move yet. Okay, start on your side. Okay. Okay. All right. Start on your side. side. You're on your left side. Okay. Okay. Right leg behind the left leg. Yeah. Okay. Pick up your right foot and move it in front of the left foot. Yeah. The pelvis didn't move. Mm -hmm. That means the pelvis is staying back and the foot is moving forward. Correct. Yeah. So for one thing to move faster than another, Mm -hmm. there has to be a delay in the part that's not moving as much. So you're holding that side back. Holding that side back is a delay strategy, which means that that is the early representation. As the left foot comes across and it makes contact with the ground, that foot is now slowing down, but the pelvis is still gonna move through space, which means that the pelvis is now moving faster than the foot, which means that I went from a yield to middle to overcome, 
Mm -hmm. Okay, on the top hip. Yeah. On the bottom hip, I am now creating the delay strategy on the bottom as I transition to the overcome on the top hip because the top hip is now moving faster than the bottom hip, correct? Yes. Uh, so can we uh, talk about where the, the delay strategies would happen, like upper or lower? So let's just say I'm on my so side. Are you in the, so are you, in, are you in early, middle, or late? So it will depend on my hip position, like hip flexion yes. position. So, so, so let's, say, let's say you can balance perfectly on your side. There's middle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything behind that, if I take the leg behind that, that is a late representation because I have to push against the base of the sacrum, don't I? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anything where I take the leg across in front of the, the downside leg, okay, yeah. is, is the delay until the foot gets across to the ground and I start to roll the pelvis over. Do you see it? You have to look at the position, look at the position of the sacrum. Don't look at the position of the leg. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. That's going that's to help because you're not rolling the legs. You're rolling the axial skeleton. Mm -hmm. So pay mm -hmm. attention to what's happening at the axial skeleton in regards to what's moving faster than something else. Anytime I have to slow something down, I have to click create a delay strategy. If I'm in an ER representation, so that's the leg either behind or in front, okay? So if I'm delaying it on one side, right? If I'm not pushing the base of the sacrum forward, then that's the delay strategy. That's an early representation, okay? If I'm slowing it down, relative, okay? It's a relative rate, okay? If I would be on my side, like perfectly on my side, that is where the sacrum is squared to the front. That is a middle representation. And therefore the delay strategy would, would be more inferior towards the apex of the sacrum, right? Yeah. Because the musculature there has to be, uh, I have to reduce the concentric orientation towards eccentric orientation to slow down through the middle range, don't I? Because of the representation of the pelvis is now an IR representation. Yep. It's just like taking a step forward, my friend. It's just like taking a step forward. Okay. Yeah, but on the ground and more. But on the ground. That's exactly right. So the, the rules, the rules still apply. So when I'm advancing, right, I would have, I would have an overcoming action of connective tissues. When I am delaying, I have a yielding action of the connective tissues. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pay attention, pay attention to how you're moving the sacrum. Okay. Or not, or not moving the sacrum. Right. Yeah. Make sense? Yep. Okay. Sense. Yeah, definitely need to sit down okay. and try to like you have draw about it out. 30, you have about 30 seconds. Do you have something uh, you can ask me in 30 seconds? If you're rolling in middle propulsion, so you have the uh, the elbow, uh, the uh, arm and the I'm hip at 90 degrees, I'm you're rolling, you. is there any relative? There, there will still be some relative motion happening, but it will be much more closer to middle propulsion okay. than if you have a dead center middle. Yeah. No relative motion available because of the orientation of the sacrum. So the sacrum is nutated. The innominate bones are IR'd. There's no turn there. Yeah. Okay. But on immediately on either side of that dead center middle, is where I start to increase the relative motions. So you remember the, the remember the cones that I that I always draw. So I have the I have the, the gold yeah. cone. It comes to the center yeah. where there's no motion. So that's what's happening. So a dead center middle, the ER and the IR are right on top of each other and, and creating the compressive strategy. So there's no yeah. motion there. But immediately on either side of that point, I have expansion and therefore relative motions. But it's not full relative motion. It, it increases as I expand in either direction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Because it's, it's always going to be relative motion is expansion. ER, compression is is the elimination of the relative motions for force because I have to produce force into the ground at that middle P. Even if I'm rolling, I'm producing force into the ground. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as I roll across, I'm now re-expanding and making my turn. Okay. Okay. Yep. All Thank right. you.
it's impossible to hit the end ranges. So just think about like, if this is the full excursion, so, so over here is early, over here is late, in here is middle. As soon as I put you under load, Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, kind of a wacky Tuesday. Gonna make a hard pivot here, so we're gonna dig straight into today's Q&A. And this is with Larry, an iFastU member. If you're not signed up for iFast University, please go to ifastuniversity.com. Get yourself signed up so you can participate in the ongoing discussion. And as well as, as our bi-weekly Q&As and uh, other great content. Um, anyway, Larry's questions are actually going to be really helpful for a lot of people because I think they clarify some things in regards to the propulsive foot representations and how to identify those. And then we kind of slid seamlessly into some compensatory strategies and how to identify those in, in elements of, say, a split squat, and especially when we're adding load, what actually happens to the propulsive phase. So again, very useful, I think, for, for a lot of people in regards to their understanding of how we're going to influence um, our programming and exercise selection based on where we want to put people in this propulsive phase. So thank you, Larry, for the question. Um, if you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday. I will see you all tomorrow. All right, Larry, what is your question? So I, I, I'll just boil it down to the big picture and let you take it from there. Um, I think that I understand uh, to some degree uh, looking at gait through the foot uh, primarily based on the fact that, you know, if the tibia is behind the ankle, then you're kind of in early and it advances from there. Uh, when the heel leaves the ground and the tibia is forward, then you're, you're moving into late and somewhere in between there is mid propulsion. No. Great, good place to start. Okay, so you got a misrepresentation okay. in your head because of you're not looking at the relative position of the tibia because you've got an externally rotated representation in early and yeah. an externally rotated representation in late. Right. So the tibia is in its relative position to the foot is actually um, the same as far as its, its position. So let me show you, okay? Sure. So this, and this is, this is a common, common error, okay? So, so um, a lot of folks run into this, okay? okay. So in an early represent, representation of the foot, okay? So this right. is an ER tibia. It is a, what would be termed as a supinated foot. So I've got an arch, right? And I've got first met head down and the big toe is down. So that's my, that's my early representation. Okay. okay. You follow yeah. that, right? So this would be the end of what, what would traditionally be referred to as heel rocker. So, so heel rocker takes place, the foot comes down and the tibia is behind the ankle. Okay. And it's right. e guard. All right. Right. So that's my early. Okay. Middle is the ankle rocker portion where the tibia is translating over the foot. Okay. And then the arch has to go down. Otherwise, the tibia can't move forward into its IR representation. Okay. Right. Remember, early is ER. I move into IR. The tibia translates over the foot. The arch goes down. Right. Okay. The heel breaks from the ground. So I, I, I hit max P. And then I go back into an ER representation of the foot. So the tibia is not going this way. It's actually going back relative. So if I... If I put you back in an, in an early representation, the tibia is moving back into an ER representation. So, so the tibia goes forward, hits max P, it can't go forward anymore. Right. So for it to go back into an ER representation, the heel comes up, but the tibia is moving backwards at the same time. So even though from the ground perspective, it looks like it's tilted forward, it's actually tilting backwards relative to the foot, which is, which is the ER representation. Do you see the difference? Okay. Yep. Okay. I, I, um, I'm, it almost sounds like what I, what I said initially, with the exception of the fact that I think at the last, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, at the last phase 
um, you know, I wasn't looking at relative position of the of the foot to the tibia. Right. So, so if if the tibia wouldn't come backwards as the heel comes up, your knee would get closer to the ground. So this would be like um, um, if you were if you were lunging forward with your left leg, the back yeah. leg would be in that position. You see it? Right. It would take yep. the tibia forward and the knee would move closer to the floor. If we're walking, right, the knee's got to translate forward, not down. Okay. Right. And so that's why the tibia is moving up and up and back. Does that help you see it? Yes. And it also brings up another question, which is, um, or, or potentially opens a little bit of light, uh, sheds a little bit of light on the, the uh, difficulty in understanding uh, it from the standpoint of movement vis-a-vis um, -vis lunges or whatever, right? Um, because uh, I don't know why. I, I was just thinking that, you know, uh, I was, I, I wasn't looking at um, what you just said about that. If you're, if you're in a split stance position and you're moving uh, and the, the front knee is moving forward, the, the back knee is moving forward too, but, you know, sort of forward and down, it wouldn't be that way in gait. It wouldn't no. happen. No. No, because because again, I'm I'm not moving the knee closer to the ground. I'm right. I'm trying to translate forward, so I'm propelling myself, which which would be forward, not not down into the ground. So so the thing about like a split stance versus gate is is that um, because the of the the position, okay, at the bottom of a split squat is a representation of middle propulsion. So the tibia should be forward over the foot. So, so the end of middle propulsion is there. Okay. Yep. If I'm doing a lunge, I'm not really getting, I'm, I'm moving towards a late representation, but the tibia is still forward. So, so I'm not pulling it all the way back into its latest representation. I'm sort of on the late side of middle because my tibia is moving down or it, it's moving the knee towards the floor when you're when you're lifting weights okay and you're loaded and you're in these ir positions there's no way that you can access the end ranges of early or late because the load or the position limits how much external rotation is available because external rotation is where the biggest space is to move into and that's right. where i would have the greatest relative joint motion but if I give you, let's just say that I give you uh, two 20K kettlebells, right? One in each hand, and you're going to do a split squat, that immediately sticks you closer to middle and takes away your end range excursions. So you're going to be playing like middle plus or minus a little bit of early, a little bit of late. So it squeezes that space in. That's why force production goes up because the highest force production is that max propulsion, which is that maximum IR representation. Right. Okay, so the foot should reflect that, right? The tibia position should reflect that, right? right? Because if, if you are, if you would be in a true late representation, in a true early representation, it's very difficult to produce maximum force. And that's what a lot of people try to do because they can't access the, their, their full internal rotation capabilities. And so that's why you see substitutions in split squats and lunges and step-ups and well, just pick any exercise really. Yeah, because both ends early and late are external rotation. Correct. You can't get, rotation, Correct. Uh, you can't get force and, or you, you can't get, for, you, you have to substitute something. To right, get force. right. It's not, it's not the ideal place to be producing force. Therefore, you have to have a compensatory strategy. So this is where you would see somebody anteriorly orient the pelvis as a substitution for, for acquiring the, <clears throat> the ideal representation of internal rotation. It's still an internal rotation, just less than ideal as far as force production goes, less than ideal as far as, as um, creating um, the transition from ER to IR effectively Right. And so, again, you're more likely to create to create a compressive strategy that might result in, um, at worst case, pain. Right. And then at 
sort of best case, a limitation in other ranges of motion, right? So th that's the compensatory strategies that you'll see layered on top of that, right? So if I angularly orient the pelvis, right, that's my IR representation because I don't have ER. And then maybe they're going to try to create some more ER and you'll see like the knee move away from midline at the same time, right? So all of these compensatory or, strategies that we see are associated with trying to find space to move into and still produce force into the ground, right? Because that is a requirement of being on the ground in in gravity. That, that would also include hip hack as a uh, substitution. Correct. That would be it. That's another IR substitution. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so uh, uh, a lot of people, including myself, I think, um, have a, really have a hard time, uh, if ever, getting the first med head down because they're so far on the outside edge of their foot. You know, yeah. or they yeah. they may they stay in this kind of supinated foot position, which makes it difficult to get the first med head down. Or, or you can get the big toe down, but not the first med head, so you're not really getting uh, pronated. Or, that is or correct. That is correct. Yes. Right. So they're never expressing. So is that an energy leak, or they're, or it's just they're not being. What is an energy leak? Well, in other words, not all the force is going into the ground. You're, it's being dispersed. Well, you're still putting force into the ground. The question mark is, is like, is like, how are you accomplishing that? Because it takes relative motions to get to the to the position of pronation. Okay. You have to look at you look at everything in a sequence. So I get the medial heel and first met head down to do that. I have to have a subtalar joint in the in the the ankle foot that allows that to happen, so I can actually access that position um, from from a relative position of ER to IR. If I stay supinated, I'm still putting force into the ground. It's just going to be a less than an ideal situation. So, you know, if I get a runner that comes in to, to, the, to the purple room and they've got a history of a fifth metatarsal fracture, you want to know why that happens? That's a focal load on the fifth metatarsal for somebody that, that could not capture a foot position with, with normal relative motions, right? right. So if they're in, if they're in a, a much later representation of propulsion and they're trying to put force into the ground, they're trying to slow themselves down to put force into the ground. They're still going to do it. They're just going to use a, a, a much more um, less desirable compensatory strategy. So again, that's a pelvis that's moving as a single unit into that anterior impression to push down into the ground. But the foot that you're pushing down into the ground with, again, less than ideal distribution of force. It becomes a focal load, right? So maybe the focal load goes all the way up into a hip joint. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because I know your medical history, right? <laughs> Right. We, and we, we, we both get to tell, we both get to tell that same story, boss. So I'm not picking on yeah. you. <laughs> no, I, listen, I'm, you know, I, I, I know your history too. And so I know yeah. you're, you're ahead of me in the bionic man race for bionic man. I, status. I, the more replacement parts I get, Larry, the longer I live. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, it, it, like you've said before, it's still a fake hit. I mean, it's still an artificial. It's yeah. not real. That's one thing you, you want to make sure. Um, does this help you though? Does this help you see see this representation of the transitions and then why you start to see the compensatory strategies layered on? So, so don't consider the split squat gate per se, but there are elements that are similar. And then there are, there are um, because of context, there are limitations in how much of the excursion that you'll see. That's the right. thing that I, that I think that might be a little bit of a point of confusion for yeah. you is to, and, to not see this uh, exactly the same. Right, uh, so um, to, to summarize, uh, kind of summarize what you've said so far is number one, if you're doing a split squat or squat or anything where you're loaded and you're compressed and you're creating compression, you're going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, right. and never, you know, truly early late. It's impossible, it's impossible to hit the end ranges. So just think about like, if this is the full excursion, so, so over here is early, over here is late, in here is middle. As soon as I put you under load, I just took away the ends, right? I still have an early, I still have a late, it's not as big. And then my middle is, is going to be represented as a much more pronounced um, component of the activity because I'm spending more of my time there. Yeah. Okay. Because time is slower under load. Under load, time is slower because it's more of an IR representation. Yeah. Right. So if I'm trying to maximize, maximize range of motion 
a loaded activity is less likely to produce it than an unloaded activity, right? And so that's one of those considerations that I that I need to to always um, take take into mind as I'm doing my program. It's like, what is my goal here? It's like if if I if I if I'm trying to avoid stealing all of the range of motion, then that's my dead center middle kind of activity. So those are bilateral symmetrical heavy load stuff. And then out here is your, your body weight or less than body weight by reducing the influence of gravity out here. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, okay. and, and uh, because, you know, when you're trying to produce maximum force, you don't want movement. I don't, I don't. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Hey, um, I, I hate to be rude. I got to get to the next call. Okay. I, I hope this was helpful for you. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you very awesome. much. Okay, man. I'll see you later. Okay. Number one, to absorb force first. Can they produce force second? Can they produce force quickly? Yeah. And then can they produce force quickly again and again and again. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have Neural Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Well, today is Wednesday and that means that tomorrow is Thursday as usual, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Um, always an outstanding group of people. We got a bunch of regulars that have been on these calls for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we got new people coming in every week as well. Always fun, great questions, um, sharing ideas, and um, doing a little bit of learning as we have our coffee. So please join us for that. Uh, today's Q&A, um, total fun actually. Um, Timus, who's actually been on, on the, uh, the Coffee and Coaches Conference calls, um, uh, joined me uh, last weekend. And his question was uh, in regards to how to develop punching power and uh, again, always fun to apply my model directly in, into a very specific context. The thing you want to recognize is that if you understand the phases of propulsion, that you kind of understand exactly how a punch takes place. And we break that down for you, and as well as making a, a few um, suggestions as to how this might be influenced in the training hall. But you get to see the, the, the progression of performance from yield to overcome to power production to endurance. So we, we discussed that as well. Um, so again, I think this will be useful to see this in a specific context. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have a great day. Okay, we are recording. Timer's running. What is your question? So first of all, thank you very much for dedicating your time for this. Uh, I was hoping you can give a little bit of input about uh, boxing punch. So something that would be referred to a straight punch. Uh -huh. What happens from the ground up to transmit the force? And how, how does that process happen? Okay. Okay. So conceptually, all right, high force production is in the middle. It's middle propulsion right? Okay. And max would be like the point where it's maximum force, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then velocity is demonstrated in, in the ER representation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So if you understand a little bit about walking, you will understand the, the punch. Okay. So a punch is delivered at about 1200 degrees per second. Okay. okay? That's pretty fast. Yeah. Okay. But it's not nearly as fast as like throwing a baseball or something like that. So a baseball is yeah. 9,000 degrees per second. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so a punch is not a throw. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the difference is in velocity. But the mechanics are very, very similar. And uh -huh. so, so, so what you're going to have is you're going to have a point where you're, you're applying a maximum force into the ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which would, be, which would be max pronation, max P. So if I was throwing sort of a straight right hand okay. as, as a punch, okay, there's, there's a, a quick drop of the center of gravity into IR. So I need to create a, mm -hmm. like, like a literally, like it's, it's like a jolt into the ground yes. into IR, which propagates internal rotation up the system. Okay. okay? And you can actually see this. If you watch a punch in slow motion, you watch the musculature yeah. 
and you can you can see it. So so if I was if I was throwing uh, like again the straight right, it's like taking a step forward with the left foot. So okay. I'm so I'm pushing late into the lead foot. The lead foot hits the ground, creates the max propulsion that okay. stops the forward momentum. That drives the intra rotation up. Mm -hmm. okay? Okay. The arm is still back. So, so the intra rotation comes up towards the shoulder. And, mm -hmm. and I, I actually create a differential between the arm and, and, the, and the trunk. So the trunk goes first. The arm stays back, okay. kind of like pulling the rubber band back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so it creates a yielding. Mm -hmm. Right in the in the the shoulder so so i have a differential between axial skeleton and arm okay mm -hmm. and then as the intra rotation propagates down the arm that's what pushes so i have an er mm -hmm. that leads so i have to create expansion toward and then i have the ir force that comes behind it okay okay, okay? which is why if you if you've ever if you've ever uh done any training they say to punch through yes like if, if you're hitting a heavy bag i don't want to talk about hitting people but if you mm -hmm. hit it, if you hit a heavy bag, you punch through the surface yes. of the yeah. bag because I want that I want that internal rotation wave to propagate through the entire yeah. fist, if you will. Uh -huh. Okay. If if I if I pull my punch, mm -hmm. right, that means I'm stopping the IR wave here. Mm -hmm. I don't let I don't let the wave propagate, so I dampen it as it approaches the hand, and so that's where I would stop at the surface. And so, okay. do, are, do you teach combatives? Well, just a little bit. Okay. I, so, I used to train, not teaching. Now. So, so here's the difference. This is the difference between somebody that is well-practiced and somebody that is just first learning. Because most mm -hmm. people, they, they intentionally stop the punch at the surface yeah. instead yeah. of punching through. Because yes. they dampen they dampen mm -hmm. the IR wave as it, as it goes through mm -hmm. the extremity, right? So okay. they never get a full force, full force punch. But the, the thing that I want you to recognize about, about this is the rules are the same. It's like mm -hmm. I move from a position of expansion. I create the compression, the high okay. force element. That's what translates the energy from the ground all the way up through the extremity. So whether we're talking about mm -hmm. throwing a baseball, uh, throwing a javelin, swinging a tennis racket, swinging a golf club, throwing a punch, the, the representation okay. of, of external rotation space, high force IR, mm -hmm. and then the expression of the velocity of the punch mm -hmm. is the same. It's just like walking. It's just like mm -hmm. throwing. So it's very, very similar. That's that's really, really good. And what happens then at that moment when the punch hits the target, so to say? Does, does, does the motion come from distal proximal again? Yes. Yeah. There you go. There uh -huh. you go. And so, so yes. So, so I will have a force that is coming back into me. Uh -huh. Right, and then the dif the differential determines how much force is applied. Mm -hmm. Right. So okay. if I if you throw a punch at my face, and I throw my face at your fist, uh -huh. okay, that's uh -huh. a lot more force. Is that why when rugby players get bumped to each other, the one that bumps like less <laughs> gets <punched? laughs> there? There is a, there is a victory. In physical contact, there's yeah, no I question see, about see. that. Okay, it's like, okay. and if you ever see two people run together and they go and they both yes. fall back, that was uh -huh. pretty equivalent. But understand okay. that you're multiplying the forces. So, whatever force I brought this way, whatever force I brought this way, the collision <laughs> is a combination of those two forces. Yes. I see, okay. I see. Yeah, so, so you, you mentioned that, for example, if it's a right straight punch, uh -huh. the IR wave, the internal rotation wave, would travel from the left, so from the lead leg. Up yes, towards the opposite arm, yes? Yes. What would happen in that case with the, with the stance, so the right foot that's on the ground, and yeah. with the left arm, would they sort of have to IR, sorry, ER relative so, to the So I have to, create, I have to create a turn, okay? Mm -hmm. So, so they're, they're in an ER representation to initiate. Okay. The back foot moves through ER to IR to translate the, the, the weight forward. Mm -hmm. The lead foot has yes. to create the, the high force into the ground. So uh -huh. right, right through middle, mm -hmm. there, there is there is there is a compression okay. where the highest force is initiated. So that's still going to be max P into the ground. Okay. Just like taking a step forward, uh -huh. I still have a max P, okay, mm -hmm. where everything stops. I have conservation of momentum that creates the so I have to create a turn. Okay. Yes. 
there's still a turn that is created to allow the velocity to be, to be demonstrated in the punch. So I have to create the, I have to create the delay strategy on the, on the side opposite, yes. right? So I'm moving from, I'm moving from max IR towards ER, which means I will still demonstrate more internal rotation on that mm -hmm. side, but I'm moving towards ER. This side is moving from max IR towards ER. Okay. Yes. But in, in the late strategy, which uh -huh. allows force production to be translated forward. Mm -hmm. you see it? Okay. 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 So, so, and again, it's just like walking. Both sides are still moving forward just at different mm -hmm. rates. And then this yes, side. I see. I see. The, this one demonstrates the higher velocity. Okay. So okay. would it be correct to say that sort of the left one starts in the late, gets to the max peak, and then gets into early, whereas the right one, the opposite? That is correct. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Okay. Yes, it is that's very cool. I think so, too. I think wow. so, too. But, it, but, it, but, you know, from a modeling perspective, it makes, us, makes it very easy for us to understand how we see some mm -hmm. of these high velocity. I mean, you know, it's like I said, it's not throwing a baseball at 9,000 degrees per second, but 1,200 degrees per second is still really, really fast. Like, I don't want to stand mm -hmm. in front of that, right? Yeah. And especially, yeah. especially when, the, when, the, when the focus of the force is the size of your fist, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, yeah. I don't want to stand in front of that and absorb yes. that into a very small yes. space. But this is, uh -huh. this is literally how force production works on, on every scale. When you have somebody that's in pain and they have this focal region where they're absorbing the force, that's why it hurts. It's like getting punched. You know, somebody comes in with like left low back pain and, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's a focal compressive strategy that's, that's, yeah. that's promoting this. It's like, it's literally like getting punched in the low back. Uh-huh. I see. Well, that's really interesting. Um, so how would you go about... Uh, getting sort of the performance increase so if, if, if there is a person that wants to get you know you have those certain amount of rounds and you have certain amount of time you have to last and you you certain amount of punches you miss so you want to have the ability to make the punch least effort but max power so to say so you you, you start with least effort and then you want to make sure that you exert the power when needed right. what would be the strategies to sort of optimize that in training well it needs to be specific Number one. So I have I have many contributors to endurance. I have many contributors to force production. Yes. Right. So so there are certain elements that that need to be in place for the highest possible force. Mm -hmm. So so some like if we if we looked at if we looked at fighters across the board, there are some fighters that were born to be fighters and they already have the capacity to, to produce a lot of force in a very short period of time. So mm -hmm. that's a power related yes. um, uh, capability. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are some people that are low force producers. And so for those people, the strategy that we would have to use is number one, let's increase their ability to produce force. So we mm -hmm. have to take them into the weight room, teach them how to produce force. Yeah. If we can teach them how to compress that force into a shorter period of time, now mm -hmm. we have increased someone's punching power. Okay. okay. Which is, which is force per force times distance per unit time. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, so again, some people need, higher force production in the weight room. Some people don't, mm -hmm. but we just, again, this is, this is us getting to know the, the athlete in question as to what mm -hmm. their needs might be. Are they low force producers? Let's put them in the weight room. Make sure we don't slow them down. We don't want to extend. We don't want to extend mm -hmm. the IR moment. We just want to produce the maximum force in the shortest IR moment possible. And that's where we get a much more powerful or, or you'll see, see a higher velocity punch. Then once you can do that, now I need to, to do it over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again. So you can construct elements of this in, in the training hall, in the weight room, mm -hmm. and then you have to apply this in the specific realm where mm -hmm. this is where they're doing rounds. This is where they're doing skill work for repetition, for endurance, yes. to, mm -hmm. to allow them to repeat it. So the way that we the way that we talk about sort of constructing the athlete is like do they have the ability number one to mm -hmm. absorb force first can they produce force second can they produce force mm -hmm. quickly yeah. and then can they produce force quickly again and again and again mm -hmm. so so that is the superimposition of endurance on top of yes. all of those capabilities yes. so if i just worked on endurance Mm -hmm. on, a, on a low force producer. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
That just means that they can produce low force over and over and over again. It doesn't mean yes. they're going to be a great fighter. If I need to increase the force production, maybe I don't spend a lot of time in the endurance phase. And now I'm working on high force production first before I teach them to do it over and over and over again. You see how okay. you build it? And then yes. literally yes. What, we just, what, we, what we just did is we constructed a program for mm -hmm. somebody that might be in, in need of greater punching power. We have to create that mm -hmm. first. And then through the specificity, we add rounds, we add, again, the, the skill work and, and yeah. things like that, that, ex, that expand the duration over mm -hmm. which that they can apply the force. So you mentioned that uh, the IR should not be delayed. So it should not be a sort of prolonged internal rotation, it should be a short no. moment of it. Yeah. No. So would that make sense that you want to keep them in IR? So in ER, external rotation? Then a very brief moment of IR and then ER again. You want to train in that? Yeah. That's the That's fastest. So, so those are the fastest people. Okay. Okay. Assuming that that moment of time that stops where you have maximum IR, assuming mm -hmm. that that is extremely high force. Yes. And, and the shortest possible time. So mm -hmm. if we looked at a sprinter's foot contact, okay, okay. That, is a, that is a maximum force into the ground. And at, at world-class levels, I think it's 0.08 to 0.11 seconds on the ground, which is incredibly okay. fast. Yes. yes. But they're applying a maximum force that allows them to leave the ground again mm -hmm. and cover a great deal of distance. Okay. So we would think about the same thing when we're talking about force production in a punch. Mm -hmm. Like I want this, this, this ability to expand, compress, and then re-expand uh -huh. as, as quick as possible with the mm -hmm. highest force possible. Mm -hmm. Very good. That's, that's really helpful. And I, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, in, in most of the boxing trainings, they, they ask the, the trainees to stay on the balls of the feet. So on the ball of the foot, mm -hmm. uh, what would be sort of advantages and disadvantages in that in speed and force production and, and, any views that you have on it okay so so they're not always on the balls of their feet number one yeah. okay mm -hmm. because i have to transition so my er to ir to er transitions mm -hmm. okay still need to be intact so you're you're still going to be capturing early and late representations mm -hmm. okay now okay. the early representations where the heels on the ground mm -hmm. max p so maximum force into the ground, maximum IR actually occurs as the heel breaks from the ground. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's actually where the, where the heel is actually starting to come up and they're producing the maximum force in the ground that mm -hmm. brings that IR up. Okay. Awesome. So they're still going to transition. They're still mm -hmm. going to transition into the, into those, into those phases. But again, when, when maximum force is going to be applied, there's going to be a, maybe a tap to the ground of the, of the medial calcaneus because I have to create the delay to create the turn yes. that allows that force to be demonstrated as I transition mm -hmm. from one foot. So if I'm going to, to uh, uh, apply force to the ground with my lead foot on a punch, okay, mm -hmm. I have to get the other side of the body to be moving into a late representation to get to, in the late representation where that ER is going to be demonstrated. Yes. That requires yes. heel contact. Mm -hmm. Okay. okay. But the yeah. maximum force, the heel is going to be coming off the ground. So it's mm -hmm. not an always on the balls of your feet. Okay. Mm -hmm. we're, we're using that foot position because it's easier to reposition your, your stance. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you're still okay. moving through these, these phases of, of early, mm -hmm. middle, and late. They're just over a very small excursion. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Um do, do you, do you be, be really quick? I got to wrap this up because yes. I got I got to get do, to the. Do you have any other thoughts on this? Like anything you would like to add to to, to the questions I asked? Any? I other didn't have a question, this? so no. so I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. That's great. Bro. Thank, thank you very much. All right, man. I'll probably well, see you on coffee call. Right. I'll see you on Thursday. Yeah. I'll see okay. you later. Bye. Have a great day. So he's trying to drive force down into the ground. Okay because his orientation is going to pull him away from, from the medial foot contact. So he's, so what he's got to do is he's got to translate some measure of, of mass over the inside edge of the foot to drive internal rotation into the ground. All right, back, back to baseball. <laughs> I'm shocked by that. Huh? But this time it's not a pitcher. It's a position player. <laughs> so um, I have a, a wide, uh, he's a right-handed hitter. Yep. And he's getting some crash in that back knee as yep. he's kind of transitioning. Okay, hang on. I literally just had a conversation about this on Sunday. Go ahead. 
Okay, hopefully I'm on nope. uh, right track here. Yeah. Um, so just representation of pelvis, right um, IR 20, ER 30, left, yep. I, left IR 20, uh, ER 45, SLR on the right, 45, SLR it, it, on the I'm sorry, oh, straight leg. Okay, sorry. Sorry, straight leg, yeah. Yep. Yeah. On the left, 50. Hip flexion on the right, 90. Hip flexion on the left, 95. Gotcha. Um, so when I, the, the big thing that kind of stands out to me is that right hip ER being at 30. I'm thinking as he's, as he's making the turn to get the load, he's running out of space on the, as he's turning right. As he, as there is, go ahead. Is he, is, hang on one second. Are you talking about so 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 he's his knee is moving immediately when he's hitting? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, like right ahead. right as he's like transitioning out of the load in the back and he's starting to come forward, that knee's going earlier than what they want. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so is it just that he's running out of space in that on that backside getting into ER, and so the knee's just a representation of trying to find more room? Okay. So what is a, a knee moving immediately, okay? What is he actually trying to uh, produce with that? So this is an active, this is, it's not collapsing inward. He's pushing it in. What, mm -hmm. is, he try, what is he trying to do? What is, what is that inward, what is that producing? Think about his, think about his, his, okay, it's his right knee that's moving medially, okay? What is the right foot then able to do? Well, he's coming more to the medial edge. Okay, keep going. So what's he trying to do? Um, wait. Manuel, say it out loud. He's trying to pronate. He's trying to produce that internal rotation. Right. Force. He's trying. To, so he's trying to drive force down into the ground. Okay. Because his orientation is going to pull him away from from the medial foot contact. So he's. So what he's got to do is he's got to translate some measure of of mass over the inside edge of the foot to drive internal rotation into the ground, so he can translate himself forward in the swing. Right. Okay. So so. So this is this is a that, you know where he's doing it. He's probably doing it at L five S one. Most likely is that where he's sort of driving that um, be, because of the of the knee orientation. So um, chances are you're getting and so he's trying to get the sacrum instead of facing away from the pitcher. He's got to get a sacrum that faces towards the pitcher so he can move in that direction. And so, so you're seeing the knee move medially, but chances are, if you, if you can get a view of him um, from behind um, as he is swinging the bat, I would be looking like right at L5S1 if I were you um, and, and, and see what you're seeing there, because chances are that's where you're gonna see this orientation where he's gonna be driving the, He's going to be driving anterior orientation of the right side of the pelvis forward and left and down medial. So, so it's going to try to be the internal rotation moment, if mm -hmm. you will. So the IR um, is not coming from the hip, obviously. It is going to be coming from the, the, the L5S1. So it's the pelvic orientation. Therefore, the knee is just following what the pelvis is doing. Okay. 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 I would also make sure that you've got a foot that can capture the, the middle propulsive representation. Mm -hmm. Because if, if he can't do that, then you have an interference. And that might be, again, be why he's using this strategy because it does move his center of mass medial to the right foot and allows him to create that downward force. Okay. 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 So, Work so anterior orientation first. Get him out of that. You, then you have yeah. So so that's what he's using. He's yeah. literally using that anterior orientation to to buy him the 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 right. downforce. Right. right. Um. Yeah. And then I would imagine like we got to get him back. 
Yeah. So he's trying to, so, so if you look at his hip measures, if you look at his hip measures, he's trying to get himself back um, because he's pushing, it, it almost looks like um, um, he's got his weight too far back in his stance before, before delivery. He'll try to hold himself back and then he's got to accelerate himself forward. And that's why the orientation uh, kicks in. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Yep. So, so again, it's like, it's like little, it'll, it'll probably show up in like a little bit of a glitch in, in his stance. Like his weight's going to be too far back over the right foot. And then he's trying to catch up with the orientation. And so he's artificially trying to create the delay. So he's magnifying, he'll be magnifying the, the late representation with his left left side in his stance, and then he's got to sort of catch up with the with the uh, anterior orientation on the right. So it's going to be moving on this really hard diagonal uh, kind of a uh, of a turn, so he can get, so he can get the downforce on, on the right leg. Um, you know, you're, this is going to be a dude that that I would be concerned about, like um, the medial knee pain, mm -hmm. L five S one. Um, I, I would also be looking at, um, you're, you're probably going to be looking at it, like his right shoulder IR might be magnified because he's going to use an IR strategy at the lower cervical spine as well. So he might have like, so you might expect him to have like maybe 45 degrees of shoulder IR and he walks in with 75 and that's not shoulder range of motion. That's, that's going to be his neck. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Does with, with that, um, He's also a guy that has a very like steep back back path. And uh -huh. kind of does that make sense? It has so okay yeah so so hang on so uh, the the way that you you adjust uh, the the plane of the swing is usually through right. a trunk orientation. So if I if I chop you right at L five S one and I create a hard well yep. it'll look like a side button but it's but it's actually the the turn. Right. So, so the thorax is here and he's turning the thorax like that. So the thorax is tilting up. So he drops his back shoulder and now his, his swing plane is, is going up. Right. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you for that. The back knee anterior knee pain in a split stance is always somebody that cannot capture the IR representation. Good morning, happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, wrapping up a great week. Um, digging right into today's Q&A. Um, this was a, a discussion with Colin who's doing an online assessment. So we get a lot of questions about online assessments as to you know what tests to use and, and such. And, it really doesn't matter what you're using as long as you understand the representations of your internal and external rotation. So we need spaces to move into, we need to be able to produce forces, and then what are those representations represented in movement, in structure? And so that's kind of what we talked about with, with Colin. Colin did a great job of determining what the, the needs of this individual were. And then he produced an intervention, which was which was actually the, the right thing to do. Just wasn't entirely sure as to why it was effective. And so we kind of talk him through that. So I think this is gonna be useful to see, to see how this process works when you are working with people where you're not actually directly interacting. Um, we don't need to throw people down on, on the table to do table tests, but we just need to understand the representations of what those tests tell us. And then we move that into the gym and we can use that in a dynamic atmosphere. So, so this is a really, really good representation, like I said, for a lot of people. I think that, that there's a lot of people that are working with, with online clients at this point. Um, it will probably continue to be such. And so again, very, very useful for many people. If you'd like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com and put 15 minute consultation in the subject line and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Make sure you go to the YouTube channel and subscribe so you get all the videos. Podcasts will be up on Sunday as usual and I'll see you all next week. So this is an online client. So my hands-on assessment capabilities are absent with her. Yep. Um, so a lot of like active range of motion, like movement-based KPIs. Uh -huh. She has a history of like hip dysplasia that is uh, radiographically confirmed, right? However, when I first started working with her about eight weeks ago, still presented very narrow, right? Still had like a relatively like deep body weight squat, but she presented with that like obliquity where she was getting like pushed over to her, her right leg. And yep. her chief complaint is like, um, like right 
anterior burning hip pain that gets aggravated with like repetitive hip flexion, like running up the stairs. Um, she does a lot of like beach body and sandy type training. So like all of those like repetitive, like squatting and jumping stuff really like aggravates it. Mm-hmm. Um, initial plan of care was like, if you looked at her sitting in a chair and doing like hip ER and IR, her ERs looked relatively good like not like a massive limitation like i've seen like some of my online clients but her irs i say were like 15 right with a little bit of like side bend compensation at the trunk and then like 25 left and since then i treated her like she was almost like a narrow on like a right oblique because of her presentations at the right hip Mm -hmm. so i pulled her back on the right i I gave her some uh, middle propulsion then looking at her body weight squat no longer had like the deviation over towards like the right in space. Okay. Symptoms have been going down. Um, I'm working her into some split stance stuff because we're, we're finding some ways to eliminate the interference with stuff in her training right now. That's still kind of making her hip sensitive. Um, So doing like a, she responds really well to a prone right propulsion to turn the sacrum away from that right side now, which is good. That eliminates almost all hip pinching. But then doing a left foot lead, right foot back split squat where I'm putting the weight in her right hand to kind of help her to be able to turn the sacrum away from that right side. Um, She gets like some anterior knee pain. My first cue was to shorten the stagger. It helped a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yep. The, the, The same knee as the hip pain, the right knee. Okay. So it's the back knee. Yep. And then I was like, Hmm, maybe she's not getting like enough, like of like an IR, like extension representation on that right side. So I did active tibial translation on the right and it resolved it though. Right. So I was like, huh, I don't really know what I just did. And I was hoping we could talk about that because I feel like I'm really close to helping this, like really get her in the training. So, okay. So she, she, she definitely was not capturing IR on the rear, on the rear leg. Okay. Okay. You, if you anteriorly, if you translate the tibia anteriorly, where did you put her? Uh, to like an internally rotated position. Cause you're getting pronation at the foot. You, you, literally, you literally, you literally, you, you set her up in ER, you moved her through IR. You did the right thing. Mm. Cause when you get anterior knee pain, like, and again, it's not gonna matter too much as to, to which knee, but the back knee anterior knee pain in a split stance is always somebody that cannot capture the IR representation. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, okay. so you, so you bought her, you bought her the internal rotation representation that she needed. So you took, you took the sacrum, so here's what was here's what was not happening with the offset load is you were not getting the sacrum square to the front. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you put her in a left side lying um, propulsion, right? At one point, she, she loves that activity. Yes. Yeah. Why does she love that? Because it helps to square the sacrum to the front. Yeah. Okay. And then you gave her an activity where she just didn't have enough I. So, so you didn't capture enough IR. Like you probably improved it, but you didn't capture enough of the IR representation um, through through that middle P. Then you gave her the tibial translation activity, which did give her exactly what she needed, which was to mm. bring that sacrum square to the front. So so she was staying in a late representation on the left. She was still still holding back a little bit on the right side. And all you had to do is get the sacrum to push forward on the right side, which is what you did. So so again, you 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 did the right thing. Hmm. I wonder then, should I, um, with that same example of like the left foot lead split squat with the offset load, okay, do you yeah. think throwing in a cue of like, turn your zipper towards your left a little bit would accomplish that? No, I think she would have oriented under this circumstance. I think, I think the right foot lead was the, was the way to go first to get okay. the, you had to, you have to get the sacrum to, to square to the front. So if her sacrum is facing the right, so, so mm-hmm. if we're looking at just the base of the sacrum, so the right base is forward, left base is, is back. You gave her the offset load in an attempt to capture the internally, internally rotated position on the left side. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds reasonable, but 
you didn't have the push from the from the the posterior right to bring the base forward yet. No, yeah. she was still she was still right facing as she was trying to do the split squat, which is why you got the the posterior knee pain. Chances are she was still feeling a little bit of the pressure in the anterior hip as she was doing the the left foot lead. So you did the right foot lead that brought that side of the sacrum forward. Now you got a sacrum that can actually actually square to the front. Mm-hmm. And there's your solution, at least part of the solution, because now, so let's go back to Zach's question where he was like, oh, you know what? If I just changed the sequence, if I would have done the high, low cable thing first, then rolled, we probably would have got a better result. So what you want to do is you want to do the right foot lead thing, bring this, that sacral base forward after you've done all that sideline stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and then go back and try the, uh, the left foot lead with the offset load. So basically you give her the capacity to square the sacrum to the front and then you train it with the left foot lead offset load to teach her to capture the IR representation with a sacrum that can actually face forward now. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I was doing was on with the, with the right foot lead, I was doing like an ipsilateral load to help her hang on to her ER as she would go down to the split squat and she responded really well to that. Yeah. And then I was like, I'll just flip flop it so I can help drive the turn that way when I changed the feet and then, okay, I just needed to maybe do more of that then yeah. um, prior to progressing her into the other side. Yeah. Cool. So, so, so hang on. So make sure yep. you're checking, make sure you have a representation of what her IR is. And I realize that you're not doing it. You're like, you're not measuring it directly, but you can see it. Yep. Right. So, and you can use your split squat as your representation of that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Thanks. Good. Bill. That's good.